This morning's Bible reading is from the book of Romans, um, chapter 10, verses 1 to 13. Brothers and sisters, my heart's desire and prayer to God concerning them is for their salvation. I can testify about them that they have zeal for God, but not according to knowledge. Since they are ignorant of the righteousness of God and attempted to establish their own righteousness, they have not submitted to God's righteousness. For Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes, since Moses writes about the righteousness that is from the law. The one who does these things will live by them, but the righteousness that comes from faith speaks like this. Do not say in your heart, who will go up to heaven, that is, to bring Christ down, or who will go down into the abyss, that is, to bring Christ up from the dead? On the contrary, what does it say? The message is near you, in your mouth and in your heart. This is the message of faith that we proclaim. If you confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. One believes with the heart, resulting in righteousness, and one confesses with the mouth, resulting in salvation. For the scripture says, Everyone who believes on him will not be put to shame, since there is no distinction between, between Jew and Greek, because the same Lord of all richly blesses all who call on him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Let me uh, pray as we ask God to open our hearts to hear what he has for us this morning. Let's pray. Lord, we pray that you will now, uh, through your Holy Spirit, um, enlighten us, uh, open our minds, give us um, yeah, a great understanding of what you have to say for us this morning. So we pray that you will open this passage to us and plant it deep within our hearts. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, friends, this morning I want to think about what it means to really know Jesus. How do you know that you don't just know about Jesus, but rather that you actually know him? I think this is a critical question for us to actually answer at this time of the year, because you see, we're about to celebrate Christmas tomorrow, and this is the time of the year where uh, we can really kid ourselves that we actually know Christ um, because we know the stories of Christmas. You know, we think we know Jesus because we know all about the baby born to Mary and Joseph who uh, rode into Bethlehem on the donkey. We know about the animals around the manger looking peacefully down upon the sleeping child and the wise men who came from the east and brought Jesus gold, frankensteins and a mirror. Uh, and because of these things, we can fall into a trap of thinking that we know Jesus because we know about Jesus. Now, there's something that our passage here in Romans 12 deals with is, uh, is, is this question of, do we actually know Christ rather than just know about him? And I think it's something that we earnestly need to consider this Christmas season. And I think, uh, you know, the, the first thing I think Paul here is writing in, the Roman, uh, in Romans 10 is teaching us that um, there is a difference between true faith, that is truly knowing Christ uh, and uh, knowing about Christ. And the difference is not zeal. You know, zeal is not, is not faith. Religiousness is not faith. So it says there in verse 1 to 3, it says, Brothers and sisters, my heart's desire and prayer to God concerning them is for their salvation. 
I can testify about them that they have zeal for God, but not according to knowledge, since they are ignorant of the righteousness of God and attempted to establish their own righteousness, they have not submitted to the righteousness uh, to God's righteousness. Now, the them here that Paul is talking about is Israel, you know, the, the Jewish nation. And he's spent quite a bit of time in the book of Romans explaining how God has opened up salvation to all nations, both, uh, both Jew and Gentile, not just Israel. So Gentiles as well as Israelites have access to God through Jesus' work on the cross if they come to him in faith. And now he's reflecting on, in this passage, uh, his hopes and dreams for Israel themselves. He's reflecting on the state of the Jews who don't put their faith in Jesus as the only way to be saved. And Paul is pointing out that he really wants them to be saved. He wants them to come to a full saving knowledge of God through putting their trust in Jesus, coming to know Jesus personally as their own Lord and Saviour as well. Now notice what he's saying about them. He says, I can test about, uh, testify about them that they have zeal for God, but it's not according to knowledge. They, they have this great enthusiasm. Zeal is enthusiasm, energy, passion for something. And so the Israelites had this great zeal for God. Jesus has, uh, has come now and their zeal has not transferred into zeal for Christ, but zeal for their rules and regulations. Their zeal, their enthusiasm for God was in the wrong place, in the wrong spot. It pointed in the wrong direction. And because their zeal pointed in the wrong direction, they did not know Christ. And because they did not know Jesus, they were not saved. And I think this is something that is pretty shocking, actually, to our systems, especially this time of year. Because the truth of the matter is that you can be passionate about church, you can be passionate about Christmas, you can be passionate about getting all the feels at Easter time and Christmas time and not actually know Jesus. You can have all the zeal in the world and have your zeal pointed in the wrong direction. And there are consequences to this. Look at what Paul says uh, about the Israelites and their misplaced zeal. Verse 3 he says, Since they are ignorant of the righteousness of God, they have attempted to establish their own righteousness. And they have not submitted to God's righteousness. So the zeal of the Israelites led them to establish their own righteousness. Now what does that mean? They, what they ended up doing is they codified their lives. They set apart a set of rules, a set of laws, a set of ways in which they were to live life so that they could be pleasing to God. In essence, they said, if I do all of these things rightly and correctly, then God would accept me. As long as you follow these rules... You are righteous. You would have lived good lives and God would have to accept you on your basis. Make sure you tie the tenth of your cumin and spice. You know, make sure you only walk one mile on the Sabbath day, not two. Uh, do these things and you will be fine with God. If you kept these laws, then you would be right. And we like this because it's a set of ticks boxes, right? It's markers that you can measure yourself against to make sure that you're right with God. And I think this appeals to us because human beings, we like these rule-based systems. We like having a set of tick boxes that, you know, we can measure ourselves against. They are simple, 
And they are easy and it makes us, you know, it makes it easy for us to track our spiritual walk. They become this kind of rubric through which we mark ourselves as uh, in our relationship with God. We like tick boxes and rules. Do I come to church on the big days? You know, do I contribute exactly 10% of my income? Did I forgive 70 times 7? You know, tick, 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 I must be right with God. We can keep, keep a tick box list with zeal. But zeal is not knowledge. And zeal is not true faith. It's not so much that it, doing the right thing is wrong as such. You know, there's nothing wrong with wanting to have a good church attendance, for example. There's nothing wrong with serving in as many areas as we can. There's, in fact, nothing wrong with tithing your 10% of cumin and spices, even though that would make our offering bags smell funny. Doing good things is not a bad thing. But they cannot be the basis for your relationship with God. You see, the, the, the problem that Paul is addressing here is that, that these people had based their entire relationship with God on whether or not they were doing stuff for Him, whether they ticked the boxes. It's not that ticking the boxes is wrong, but it's trusting for a right relationship with God on the basis of whether we've ticked those boxes. That is the problem. Ticking the boxes isn't a living faith. It's just misdirected zeal. And zeal is not true faith. Zeal is not true knowledge. Zeal is not knowing Jesus. Living a good life will not save you. Doing the right things even for God is not the same thing as having a relationship with Jesus. A saving one. Knowing what is good is not the same as knowing God. Now, whenever we make a point like this, it's important for us to balance what is said with the opposite too. Because that's actually what the Bible does. You know, Paul here is very much writing to the Jewish nation who had this set of codified rules for behavior. Um, and he's writing to them and addressing kind of their overemphasis on, on living rightly. But the Bible also gives us the opposite picture. It says, um, you know, Paul, Paul says simple zeal is not enough, it's not true faith. But in the book of James, we, we hear the same point, but from the opposite side. He says, so James is writing in James chapter 2 from verse 14. Listen to this. He says, What good is it, my brothers and sisters, if someone claims to have faith but does not have works? Can such a faith save him? If a brother or sister is without clothes and lacks daily food and one of you says to them, go in peace, stay warm, be well fed, but you don't give them what the body needs, what good is that? In the same way, faith, if it does not have works by itself, is dead. But if someone will say, but someone will say, you have faith and I have works, show me your faith without works and I will show you my faith by my works. You believe that God is one good. Even the demons believe that and shudder. Now what James is writing about here is the, is the same but opposite point that Paul is making. He's saying that true faith always comes with works. He's describing a living faith as opposed to a dead faith. He describes faith that leads to life and contrasts with faith that leads to, leads to death. And he says that the faith that leads to death is a faith 
that doesn't have any works, that has no deeds, that doesn't lead to a changed life. He says that, you know, you can have a type of faith in God that leads to death because it doesn't result in a changed life. He says you believe that God is one. He's, he's referring to um, the, the way the Jews kind of recited their, their faith creed. Uh, you know, there is one God and we believe in Him. He says you believe that? Great. Even the demons believe that and they shudder. If your faith does not lead to a changed life, it is not the kind of faith that leads to salvation because it is dead. James wants his hearers to have the kind of faith that comes with zeal. True faith, says James, comes with zeal. In fact, your knowledge of Jesus, if it doesn't lead you to want to live a life that is changed, then you don't actually have true faith either. That's just knowing about Jesus. Paul writes and says, zeal is not enough. Tick boxes is enough. Zeal for God without a relationship in Jesus is not going to save you. James writes and says, if you have a relationship with Jesus, it will always lead to a changed life. Because if your life has not changed, you don't have a relationship with Jesus. Paul and James are saying the same thing from the other side of the argument. Paul writes, deeds is not enough. James writes, faith without deeds is not enough. That's not real faith. Paul says, if you obey the Ten Commandments and you miss the heart of the law, you've missed the point. You miss the very thing that the law has been pointing to. Jesus, the only one who could actually keep the law. If you obey the law and you don't recognize God's character in, us, in it, then you don't actually get it. And he's writing here in Romans that the Israelites didn't see that. They didn't understand that. God wasn't so much interested in them following the rules, although that was important. The rules are there to show them that they need to be saved from themselves. God wants their hearts. He wants this relationship with his people. And the law pointed them to how they could have that right relationship with God by showing them that they could not actually keep it properly. The law is not the way into God's good graces. But the Israelites didn't get that. They thought that in order for them to stay in God's books, they had to make rule upon rule upon rule to ensure that they don't even accidentally break one of God's laws. They correctly understood that sin was incompatible with God's heart. They got that. They knew that their sin made them unworthy to come into God's presence. They knew that their wrongdoing and, uh, and unrighteousness disqualified them from entering into a relationship with God. But instead of seeing that as a, as a cry for them to uh, call out to God to clean them, instead they, they decided to write it all down and try and live a perfect life. They made rule upon rule upon rule. And they could not be saved. And instead of dedicating themselves to God, they dedicated themselves to a set of rules which even they could not obey. God had given them the perfect standard. They saw the perfect standard, realized they couldn't keep it, and so they just decided to try harder and harder and harder. Legislate out every possible sin you could. Live so strictly, with so much zeal, that you could be assured that you would never sin. But the problem is, friends, that never works. 
that never works. Because zeal for God is not the same as a relationship with God. And only God can change us from the inside. True faith is not zeal. That hard work, that commitment to purity in religion is the same thing that led Saul of Tarsus, who later became Paul, who wrote this down, to hunting down people and murdering them in God's name. All because of zeal. We need something to change our hearts from the inside. We cannot actually live a sinless life by ourselves, no matter how many laws we put down for ourselves, because our hearts have become so proud that we actually believe that we can conquer the sin that lives within us. Maybe you have found the same in your life. For you actually have a good desire to want to live for God. But where you believe that you can do that in, in your own strength. Maybe you've put in, in, in your life certain rules or regulations or guiding principles to help you do the right things. And what happens? You might even do the right thing, but your heart still wants the sin, doesn't it? And the desire for sin, as the Bible says, grows up and gives us death. Zeal is not faith. So what does it mean then to really know Jesus? What does true faith actually look like? Well, Paul says it requires a confession and requires a changed life. I read here from verse, not, uh, from verse 8. On the contrary, what does it say? The message is near you in your mouth and in your heart. And this is the message of faith that we proclaim. If you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. The one who believes with his heart resulting in righteousness and the one who confesses with his mouth resulting uh, in, in salvation. For scripture says everyone who believes in him will not be put to shame since there is no distinction between Jew and Greek because the same Lord of all richly blesses all who call on him for everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. So if, if works isn't the essence of faith, if zeal isn't the essence of knowledge of God, if it's not deeds, then what is it? What is the essence of truth about faith? Paul says it is this, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Those are the two aspects of true faith. Confessing Jesus as Lord and believing it in your heart. So what does confessing Jesus as Lord actually involve? Well, to understand this, we have to understand the context in which it was written, to remind ourselves who Paul was writing this letter to. He was writing this letter to a bunch of churches of believers already in Rome. But in Rome was where the emperor lived. This is a place where the emperor, where, where Caesar expected people to worship him as their Lord. In fact, if you did not recognize the emperor, the Caesar, as your lord, you could be thrown in jail at best or be executed at worst. And so when Paul here is writing that true faith involves confessing Jesus as lord, he's saying something quite radical. What the Bible says here isn't something like, respect Jesus as a great moral teacher. It's not, you know, 
I read the red letter Bible and I only follow Jesus' words. It's not that Jesus was a great man or a wise teacher or a prophet. What scripture, what Paul is writing here is, it says that those things are uh, basically nothing. Either Jesus is your Lord, your God, your master, your everything, the one to whom you owe all allegiance, or you are not part of those who've been saved. This isn't saying that you will never sin, that you will never doubt, that you won't go through trials and temptations. But what Paul is writing here is it says, if you want to biblically confess that Jesus is your Lord, that means you have to absolutely and resolutely turn yourself against everything the world wants you to do. In the, heart, in the way your heart wants you to travel, in the allegiance the world wants you to have, and it is with everything that you have saying, I want to follow Jesus' way. I will forsake all other gods. I will give up the right to determine my own destiny. I will give up deciding what is right and wrong for myself. I am going to jump in with both feet and confess that Jesus and not Caesar is Lord. And this is not a commitment we can make lightly. This is not a tick-the-box kind of faith. This is a whole life of devotion to Christ. It is swearing allegiance to Jesus as King and making an oath that you are going to follow him no matter what because of what he's already done for you. It's like making a marriage vow to be part of the bride of Christ, saying that you will love the Lord Jesus to the exclusion of all others. That's what it means to confess Jesus as Lord. Friends, have you done this? Is this how you love and know Christ? As God, as Lord, as the one who deserves your allegiance above all other things? That's what knowing Jesus looks like. That's what it means to confess Jesus as Lord. Is that your faith? That's confessing Jesus as Lord. On the other hand, there's believing in your hearts. What does it mean to believe in your heart that Jesus rose again from the dead? It means that you will trust the seed of faith that God has planted in your heart. Believing that Jesus rose from the dead is something that actually only God can give us as a gift. It is a gift from God. Yes, we can examine all the evidence of it and we can be convinced of of that. But to actually believe that someone rose from the dead is a gift that only God can give give you as the Holy Spirit convinces you. You know, you can love people and you can pray for people and you can share the gospel with people, but you cannot change their hearts. God may use you to do that. Maybe God has used people to do that for you. But to have true faith, to believe in your heart that Jesus rose from the dead is something only God can give you. And the reason for that is that our hearts are wicked above all things and that no one can really understand them. We can't argue people into faith. We can't pray people into faith. We can't love people into faith. But God can give us that gift. He is the one who has to change us from the inside. We cannot even make ourselves believe. Because God is the one who gives faith. But nevertheless, 
He gives us this test of true relationship with God. Do you believe that Jesus is Lord in your heart and do you confess that Jesus is Lord with your mouth? Do you believe that Jesus was raised from the dead and is your life marked by deeds that show this? Do you have both faith and zeal? Both trust in Jesus and a changed life. Is your relationship with Jesus transformative? Because that is the marker of knowing Jesus, not just knowing about him. Let me pray. Lord, we thank you for yet again uh, speaking to us this morning and challenging us into deeper and truer faith in you. We pray that our confession that Jesus is Lord might actually be true of us, that our lives, that again, every day in our lives, we will put aside all the other gods that clamour for our attention, but that we will live for you as Lord. We pray that you will plant deep within us and nurture and grow that seed of faith that Jesus rose from the dead. We thank you, Lord, for the faith that you have given us and we pray that you will continue to grow it, to change us then from within as we live deeper and and, um, more committed lives to you. Lord, may we have zeal for you. May we passionately and enthusiastically follow you. But may you never allow us to trust in our zeal, in our works, in our deeds for our salvation. We pray that you will continue to change us and shape us from within. We pray this in Jesus' mighty name. Amen.